Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon. We're going to look at verse 3 today. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we want to shout from the rooftops that we belong to you. And yet that's such a challenge to say that we are yours, God, because we're Americans and we are very independent. And it goes against our nature to declare that we are totally dependent on you and that we totally belong to you. And so, God, I ask that by your grace and by the power of your spirit today, you would cause us to remember that we are not our own, that we have been bought with the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And would you help us to see that we belong to your body, the church? Would you help us to begin to value the church community as being a part of it, as being the one of the main arenas where you bring about change in our lives. So get in our faces this morning and remind us that we belong to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In the spring of 1945, the Soviet Red Army was overrunning the Nazi regime in Berlin uh, in the Battle of Berlin, which was one of the bloodiest and final battles of World War II. The Red Army, though, was composed of some Russian peasants, and they were unfamiliar with the amenities of modern-day life in Germany. One thing that mystified them was bathroom plumbing. They had never seen a flushing toilet. Because they had never seen a flushing toilet and didn't know what it was, sometimes they would use the toilets to wash and peel potatoes. Since they could not find outhouses anywhere, which is what they were accustomed to, they left excrement and urine everywhere. You see, a red soldier might stare at a German toilet, but he just didn't get it. That's how we might feel about today's text. We might just stare at verse 3 and not get it. We might be tempted to fly past verse 3 and not stop and, and squeeze it like a sponge to see what truth comes out. I think verse 3, if we do stop and stare at it, will teach us about grace and why grace is so important to us. Our first name here is Grace. But do we really know what grace is? We need, to, we need to be reminded about grace often. Why do we need to know about grace? Because grace is how we are transformed in the Christian life. Grace is how we are changed into the image of Jesus. We talked last week about our walk with God being a community project, that it involves the whole church body. But how do we change in gospel community together? The answer is by God's grace. Have you ever wondered why Paul begins his letters this way? He always has some form of the words grace to you at the beginning of his letters. Why? 
In fact, actually, Paul concludes every single one of his letters with some form of the phrase, the grace of the Lord be with you, or grace to you. In fact, the very last words in the Bible in Revelation are the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Obviously, grace is important to God. Obviously, grace is important to the writers of the Bible because the people of God continually need to be reminded about God's grace. What's so important about grace? That's what we'll see in verse 3 today. Our big idea today is this. Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that grace not only forgives the bad things that we do, but grace transforms us out of the bad thing that we are. I've shared this with you before. Grace not only forgives All of our sins, but grace transforms us, the sinner. And you may be thinking, I'm not that bad of a person. Yes, you are. In fact, one pastor, Tolian Chavidjan, put this on Twitter last night. I was pleased to see it. He says, the reason you and I struggle with scandalous grace is because deep down we really don't think we're that bad. What do we tell our kids? What is sin? Doing bad things. We need to say, what is sin? It is us sinners. We do bad things because we are bad people. God's grace comes to us to forgive us and then transform us. That's one of the greatest truths that I learned from one of my mentors, one of my heroes, Dr. Jeff Bingham at Dallas Seminary. I think that's what Paul is saying in verse 3. He is reminding Philemon and the church that meets in his house of all of the staggering promises for us in the gospel in order to motivate and to inspire this gospel-centered transformation in Philemon's life and in the life of the church that meets in his house. In a nutshell, we could sum up transformation, the transformation process or sanctification with the two words that Paul uses here in verse 3, grace and peace. This verse that we're tempted to just fly past is all about gospel transformation. I get that idea, let me explain to you, because you're saying, huh, I don't see that. I get that idea by developing a biblical theology of Paul's letters, the the opening and the conclusion of Paul's letters. As I mentioned before, in every one of Paul's letters, at the very beginning, he says some form of grace to you, and then at the end of every letter, he closes with some form of grace to you. Why does Paul write his letters that way? Why does he write his letters I believe that he wrote his letters in order to see gospel transformation take place in the lives of the churches and the individuals that he was writing to. Paul was writing his letters in order to make disciple-making disciples. I believe that if anyone ever took Jesus' command to make disciples seriously, it would have been the Apostle Paul. In every one of his letters, he is trying to motivate God's people to take discipleship seriously. He is calling on them to believe gospel truths and then to act on those gospel truths. He's making disciple-making disciples as he's writing his letters. He's, He's calling these churches and individuals to be transformed together in church community, to be transformed into the image of Jesus by the grace of God. 
So even though verse 3 does not explicitly say making disciple, making disciples, and even though verse 3 does not explicitly say gospel transformation, I think a biblical theology of Paul's greetings in every one of his letters proves that this is what he is trying to do. He is always refreshing the church's understanding of grace. And in Philemon's case, in the church that meets at his house, Paul is calling on Philemon to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to grow as a disciple, to be transformed, and to extend grace to his runaway slave Onesimus. Paul is calling on Philemon to experience God's grace and peace himself and then to extend that grace and peace to Onesimus, his runaway slave. And we'll look more at that next week in verses 4 through 7 about how that works out in Philemon's life. Paul is calling this church to gospel transformation together in community. Paul knows that that gospel transformation will be triggered and empowered by all that God the Father is for us in his Son, Jesus Christ, which is why Paul mentions the Father and why he mentions the Son in verse 3. But lest you think that Paul is not Trinitarian, lest you think that we're not Trinitarian here, let me show you that I think the Holy Spirit is there in verse 3. We're, we're Trinitarian here at Grace. We believe that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But where is the Spirit here in verse 3? I'll show you in a moment as we look at God's grace, and we'll see that God's grace comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's not leaving the Spirit out. He's there when you see the word grace. He's there when you see the word peace because the grace and the peace that comes to us from God the Father and from his Son Jesus Christ comes to us through the Holy Spirit. So he's there. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in our gospel transformation. All right, look at verse three again. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so what is grace? How is grace defined according to the Bible? When the Bible speaks of grace, when you see the English word grace in the Bible, there's one of two definitions and possibly both that are at play there. The first definition of grace is this. It's God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners... Bad people like us who deserve only punishment. Or if you want to shorten it, it's God's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It's free. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to get God to extend his grace to you. God's grace is his free favor bestowed on wretched sinners like you and like me. There's God's common grace, is what the theologians call it, that he gives common grace to all of humanity. He sends rain, and there's sun, and their crops grow, etc. That's God's common grace that everyone experiences. But God's saving grace is only for his elect people, those who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. So we are saved from the penalty of our sins. We are saved from the wrath of God by his grace, but we are also transformed by God's grace. Grace transforms. 
the grace that comes to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that comes through the Holy Spirit is a transforming grace. That's why Paul starts his letters by saying, grace to you. Even as you're reading it, he's saying, grace to you right now. This is more than a greeting or a formality. Okay, Paul didn't open up a Word doc and click on the letter and it says, dear so-and-so, and grace was automatically implied there in his Word doc as he writes these letters. Paul begins his letter to Philemon by mentioning grace. Why? Because Paul knows that, that grace not only forgives us, grace transforms us. If you stop with an understanding of grace, that it's just that God forgives you, you'll be tempted to abuse God's grace. If all you think of when you think of grace is, my sins are forgiven, then you don't know grace. You only know a part of grace. Grace is like a coin. It has two sides. One aspect of grace is that it forgives you. The other aspect is that it transforms you. So the second definition of grace is this. It's God's power and divine assistance mediated through the Holy Spirit, which comes to us as a result of God's unmerited favor. Or you could shorten it and say the other side of grace is God's unlimited power. It's a transforming grace. It gives you power through the Holy Spirit in a situation. It conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why when you read passages like this, it's talking about the transforming power of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul has the thorn in his flesh and God tells him, My grace is sufficient for you. What is God saying to him? My power. In fact, he'll go on to say that to Paul, right? My power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying my power is sufficient for you in this trial. It's a transforming grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's that unlimited power. Paul's saying, when I worked hard in ministry, it's because God was giving me power through his grace. So grace excuses and forgives, but grace also transforms. The professor that I mentioned earlier, Jeff Bingham, described grace this way. Suppose a student doesn't write a paper for class and he shows up to the teacher because he stayed up all night doing whatever. And he comes up with a myriad of excuses to the professor. You know, sorry, I didn't have the paper to turn in. And what does he ask for? He asks for grace, doesn't he? He wants the teacher to say, oh, just turn it in next week. But, but is that grace? That's not grace. Grace would be the teacher saying, okay, here's what we'll do. I have five kids, and my wife and I have been dying to go out on a date for two weeks. And we have planned this date, and we have thought about it, and we have emailed each other lovey-dovey emails all week long saying, I can't wait for our date, but I tell you what I'm going to do, student. I'm going to call my wife right now, and I'm going to cancel our dinner and our, our date night that we had planned. And then we're going to go over to the library together. And we're going to check out books. And we're going to read articles. And we're going to discuss what the paper is about. And then you are going to go home and write the paper. And you're going to turn it in tomorrow. That's grace. It forgave the fact that the student didn't turn the paper in. But it didn't let him off the hook. It transformed him. It, grace 
always costs somebody something. And when God's grace comes to us, it comes to us because it costs Jesus Christ his life. Grace does not merely excuse and forgive. It does do that, but grace transforms. Grace is not merely a wiping away of sin. It is that. Thank God that grace is a wiping away and a forgetting and a washing away of our sins. Thank God it is that. But it is also a transformation of the sinner. A forgiving of sins and then a transformation of the sinner. J.I. Packer said this, The life of true holiness is rooted in the soil of odd adoration. It does not grow elsewhere. So transformation, that's what we're talking about today. Gospel transformation is rooted in the soil of adoration, of being in awe that God would save us sinners. It is as we come to grips with the first definition of grace that the second definition happens. We will live lives of holiness, sanctification, gospel transformation, only as we root them in the soil of adoration, only as we are so overwhelmed that God in Christ forgives us will we be transformed. Only as we rehearse the gospel will we be refreshed by it and enabled by his power then to fight sin. It is only as you let the roots of your thoughts and your affections and feelings and your heart go down deep into the soil of God's forgiving grace, it is only then that you will sprout and blossom out in transformation in your life. Grace enables you and empowers you to live a holy life, but only as your roots go down deep into the fact that God has saved you and forgiven you. Remembering that you are forgiven of sin propels and catapults you to fight sin. And it's all of God's grace. Or as one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, the late Dr. Harold Honer said, he said, sanctification is taking your justification seriously. The process of being transformed by the gospel, sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus, slowly, right, because it's a slow process, slowly, day by day, that process happens as we take our justification seriously. As we come to grips with the fact that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, I have right standing with a holy God. I am blameless in his eyes. It is only as we embrace that and take it seriously that we will begin to walk in sanctification. It is the engine that propels us forward. Gospel transformation, becoming slowly like Jesus, happens when we return daily to the fact that we have been made right with God and that we are at peace with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we soak that truth in and you really embrace it and it gets into the nooks and crannies of your hearts, it will propel you forward in gospel transformation. Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that grace not only forgives the bad things that we do, but grace also transforms us out of the bad thing that we are. And that is why Paul starts his letters this way. 
He knows that he is writing to the adopted children of God. He knows that they have been united with Christ through God's unmerited favor, but he wants them to experience the transforming power of God's grace in their lives because they are still sinners in need of change. That's why Paul says, grace to you at the beginning of Philemon and why he says it at the end. He begins by saying, grace to you. And then Paul ends his letter in verse 25 by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul wants God's grace to transform Philemon so that he will go and forgive his runaway slave Onesimus. Philemon had experienced God's forgiving grace. Now Paul wants to remind Philemon of that truth And then see Philemon transformed so that he will extend grace to Onesimus. Why does Paul have grace at both ends of every single one of his letters? John Piper explains it this way. At the beginning of his letters, Paul has in mind that the letter itself is a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's writing to the Christians. So he says, grace to you. That is, grace is now active and about to flow from God through my inspired writing as you read the words, grace to you. But as the letter, uh, the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes that the reading is almost finished and the question rises, what becomes of the grace that has been flowing to the readers through the reading of the inspired letter? So Paul answers with a blessing at the end of every letter, grace to you or grace be with you. May grace be with you as you put the letter away and leave church. With you as you go home to deal with a sick child or an unaffectionate spouse. With you as you go to work and face temptations of anger and dishonesty and lust. With you as you muster up courage to speak up for Christ over lunch. That's grace. It comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And then we receive peace from God. When the Holy Spirit takes the truths of God's Word and they get down into our heart, what does it bring? Peace. Peace on the front end of salvation when you're made right with the Holy God and peace through every trial we experience because of God's daily forgiving of our sins and his daily empowering of his transforming grace. And the church that met at Philemon's house, they needed peace bad, didn't they? There's a rift in the relationship between Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. This little church needed God's peace more than ever. Philemon needed to be reminded of God's goodness to him in Christ. The rest of the church needed to, be, needed to be reminded of God's grace. There may have been unbelievers in the church who were hearing the letter read who needed to be reminded of God's grace and peace that was available to them in the gospel. All of the believers in the church needed to be reminded of God's grace and God's peace. Would they welcome Onesimus back as a church Would they extend grace to him? You see, disciples always need to be reminded of God's grace. 
Disciples always need to be reminded of God's unmerited favor and his unlimited power that comes to us in the gospel. It is as we are reminded of God's unmerited favor that we are propelled to fight sin with unlimited power. The problem is that most of us don't know grace or we've forgotten grace and we need to hit refresh on grace. Jerry Bridges has compiled a list of you might not understand God's grace if. I've shared this with you before, but it's so good. We need to be reminded of God's grace. You know you don't understand God's grace when you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval. Do you live with that sense that you think that God mm, really didn't love you? He's just kind of putting up with you, that, that he disapproves of you in your life? If you do, you don't understand grace. Do you feel sheepish bringing your needs before him when you've just failed him? You've just blown it in that one sin that you've always done, that you continually do, and you've done it again, and you feel like, i got to come to you and pray, and I really can't come into your presence. Do you feel like that? When you feel like that, you're showing by your life that you do not understand grace. If you think of grace as something that makes up the difference between the best you can do and what he expects from you, you don't understand grace. God expects this. I will blood, sweat, and tears get there. And where I can't make up, he will empower me by his spirit. Then you don't understand grace because it's all of God's grace. If you feel you deserve an answer to prayer because of your hard work and sacrifice... God, you owe me. I've been living for you for 20 years and this is happening in my life. You owe me an answer to my prayer. If you feel that way, you don't understand grace. If you assume that 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you assume that that verse no longer applies to you now that you've sinned so many times, you've used up all your credit, then you don't understand grace. You've blown it with that sin that you've done a million times, and you're like, it doesn't apply to me anymore. There's a statute of limitations on that verse for me. I've used up all of my credit on that verse. If you feel that way, you don't understand grace. If you feel more confident before God, if you've been faithful with your quiet times and prayer and witnessing, you don't understand grace. Ah, I've been doing my quiet time 23 days in a row, reading my Bible, praying, sharing Jesus at lunch. I feel like I can just come into your presence, God, because I've been real good. If you feel that way, you don't understand grace. And if you're a Christian and you haven't had your quiet time for 23 days and you think there's no way I could come into his presence now because I haven't been there for 23 days, then you don't understand grace. If you can't honestly say that you see yourself as blameless in his eyes, right now, Christian, if you can't say, right now I am blameless in God's eyes, I don't care what you did last night. Think about what you did last night that you're ashamed of. Think about what you did last week that you're ashamed of. And if right now, because of what you did last week, if you don't think right now, because of Jesus, I am blameless in his eyes, then you do not understand grace. Christian, you are blameless in his eyes. 
He doesn't see the sin that you did if you are a Christian because he has covered you with the righteousness of his son. Does he know it's there? Does he know what you did? Of course. But he doesn't see that and he doesn't deal with you that way. And if you can't say right now, I stand blameless in the eyes of a holy God in spite of what I did last week, then you don't understand grace. If you aren't experiencing consistent peace and joy in your life, then you don't understand grace because it means you're not hitting refresh on the gospel. If you don't really believe that God likes you, you kind of feel like God just puts up with you, like you're that child of his, and he just kind of deals with you, then you don't understand grace. If you shy away from asking God for things because you think it annoys him, here I am coming again, God. This is 512th time I'm asking you for this. You must be annoyed then you don't understand grace. Christian, your father loves when you come into his presence and ask him for things. Here's one that might get some of you. If you fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time, I didn't pray this morning, read my Bible and drive to work. I'm probably gonna get in a wreck or I have a flat tire and I'll probably get fired from my job today because I didn't have my quiet time this morning. My whole life is gonna fall apart then you don't understand grace. Or if you assume that you can do something to make him love you more or less, if you think he loves you more because you're a missionary, you don't understand grace. If you think he loves you more because, man, since January 1st, you've memorized every fighter verse and you've been consistent in your Bible reading, you think he loves you more because of that, you don't understand grace. He loves you as much as he loves the person who's slacked off and hasn't done anything. Or if you think there's something that you can do in your life to make him say, I only love you 97% today, son, then you don't understand grace. If any of these have resonated with you, then you haven't fully grasped the depth of the gospel. You need some gospel refreshment this morning. You need to rehearse the gospel and let it bring refreshment and bring God's peace to you. That's why Paul starts his letters by saying grace to you. That's why we're hovering over one verse today because we need to be reminded of God's grace because how often do we fall back into that list of things on a daily basis? Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that God not only forgives the bad things that we do, he does, but he also transforms us out of the bad thing that we are. That's what the words grace to you at the beginning and the end of Philemon mean. If we want to see gospel transformation take here, take place here at grace, we have to understand God's grace and the peace that it brings into our lives. We have to understand, as we saw last week, that gospel transformation and change takes place in community. As we saw last week, your walk with God, your very personal, private, me and Jesus, warm, fuzzy feelings, goosebumps, woo, love you, Jesus. That relationship is a community project. It's not just you and Jesus, which is why when Paul says grace to you, the word you is plural in Greek. He's saying grace to y'all, to all of y'all. Change, transformation, gospel transformation takes place in community, all of us together. 
which is why Tim Chester and Steve Timmis say in their book, Total Church, community has been insightfully defined as the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. To be a community of light from which the light of Christ will emanate, we need to be intentional in our relationships. To love the unlovely. To forgive the unforgivable. To embrace the repulsive. To include the awkward. To accept the weird. It is in such contexts as these that sinners are transformed into disciples who obey everything King Jesus has commanded. The truth of the gospel becomes compelling as we see it transforming lives in the rub of daily, messy relationships. And it only happens by the miracle of God's grace. The only way we're going to change together in community is by God's grace. You know why? Because we're just too selfish. We want to stay with the people that we like, and we want to stay away from the people that bother us. We want to form holy huddles around the people that we like, but we have to fight this grace. You have to fight this. I have to fight this. That desire to only be with the people that we like and that we click with. We've got to fight that. Because gospel transformation takes place in community. And one of the ways that we want to help you and enable you to be intentional in your relationships here is by starting what we're calling Grace Seminary. What is Grace Seminary? In the spring, I preached a series on discipleship where I stressed that as a church, we need to be busy about the task of making disciples, making disciples, making disciples who know how to make disciples, who know how to make disciples. And some of you took that call seriously. Some of you are meeting with people one-on-one or in little tiny groups or, or in bigger groups, and you're going through the curriculum and the resources that we have, and you've taken that call seriously. In that series, I also said that this fall we would start something called Grace Seminary. And we're starting it in a few weeks. We're ready to launch it on October 7th. Originally, Grace Seminary was going to happen on Sunday nights, but as the pastors met and talked, we realized we needed child care, and then we realized that sometimes people don't sign up to serve, and then we'd have all these kids, and then we realized we'd have our kids here for three or four hours on Sunday morning, and maybe two to three hours on Sunday night, and we didn't want to burn our kids out. We don't want to burn our parents out because many people come back on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, so we've decided to, to move that What is Grace Seminary? Grace Seminary is our structured plan to teach everyone here in the basics of discipleship, in the basics of the gospel, in theology, doctrine, spiritual life, marriage, parenting, missions, prayer, conflict resolution, etc. Anyone can take these classes. It's not credited. If you hear the word seminary, don't think, ooh, I'm getting a degree. It's, It's just that we want to have this learning environment. When will we do Grace Seminary? We will do Grace Seminary on Sunday mornings during the Sunday school hour between the 9 and 10.30 Sunday school hour because we already have child care in place. So it kind of seems like a no-brainer. Let's have it when our kids are here and when they're learning. We have a variety of topics that we're going to offer We have some sign-up sheets out in the hallway. If you want to look at right here behind the little nursing room and the table out there, there's a a list of books. You can take some information to find out which class you would like to take. 
They're uh, going to run on, some, on a semester basis. The cost is usually about $10 for the books or the curriculum that, that we'll be using. And if you don't have the money, let us know. We'll work with you. Or maybe somebody here says, hey, I want to write a check to cover some people who don't have money to take these classes. Okay, Grace Seminary will usually run 12 weeks in the fall, 12 weeks in the spring. Sometimes we might have a summer class. We might have a weeknight class. But for sure, Sunday mornings in the fall and in the spring for 12 weeks. So you have the opportunity, if you're in a Sunday school class now, to go visit other Sunday school classes based on the topic of whatever someone else is teaching on. And then at the end of that, you can return to your class. Or you can just stay put in your class. And your teacher, there's six classes offered. Maybe your teacher is teaching one of the Grace Seminary classes. But here's the deal. We want to stir the pot because, and I love this, that some of your classes are really close. But we want to get other people inside your classes. I would love to see an 80-year-old man who's been in his Sunday school class for 30 years meet a 20-year-old man who comes in and they talk for 12 weeks. weeks and, and maybe some discipleship relationship happens. Or, or maybe we're just mixing all together here. This is what we want to do with Grace Seminary. So you can sign up. We need you to sign up so we can order the books. But we want to we really become a body of Christ and get to know other people. All right. What classes are going to be taught this fall? We have one called Living by the Book, which is a how to study the Bible class. We have a class called Living the Cross-Centered Life, Keeping the Gospel the Main Thing. We have a class called Christian Beliefs, 20 Basics Every Christian Should Know. That's going to run in the fall and in the spring. We have a class called The Gospel for Real Life. We have a class called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. And then we're going to have a class on First and Second Timothy. In time, we want all of our adult Sunday school classes to be structured this way. So all that information is on the table out there. Look it over, pray, sign up. We'll order you a book, and we'll begin October 7th. So why Grace Seminary? For several reasons. Because we want to make disciple-making disciples here. In fact, that's the tagline of Grace Seminary. Grace Seminary, making disciple-making disciples. We want to teach you so that you can learn, so that you can go and teach others how to make disciples. So take these classes, learn, relearn, and then go disciple someone with what you're learning. Disciple people one-on-one, in small groups, or as it usually occurs, just in our running into each other at different times and at different places. We're also doing Grace Seminary because we want, as I said, to get you out of your cliques and out of your groups. We want you to mix with other people. We want to see the generations mix. Sometimes churches think all oh, the generations can't mix. And I say, well, do you have grandchildren? Do, they, do you come over and they're like, oh, I'm 85. I don't, I don't know how to relate to five-year-olds. You don't, do you? The five-year-old jumps up in your lap and you hug on them. Do, do your kids come over and say, I'm 85 and, and you're uh, 50 and, well, uh, generational mix. I, I, can't, I can't talk with you, son, because there's this generational gap. The gospel unites us. We are human beings who've been affected by one event that happened in Genesis 3. We have something in common. We are bad things being transformed by the beautiful gospel. And we want to stir the pot and get all of us together so we start rubbing together and becoming more like Jesus. And so that gospel transformation takes place. 
As I heard on, read something on Twitter today, it said, if, if, if no one's complaining in your church, then you're probably not leading right. But if some people are complaining, then you're probably doing a good job. So some of you may be complaining because we're stirring the pot and getting you out of your clicks. That's okay. Some people have told me that they like the idea. So maybe we're doing all right here. We're not against close relationships. We're not against friendships. But we know that they're just going to happen because you like those people. It takes work to be around the people that you don't like. And it takes God's transforming grace to get you around those people that you don't like. With Grace Seminary, we want to give you the opportunity to love the unlovely, to forgive the unforgivable, to embrace the repulsive, to include the awkward into your Sunday school class that has met forever and now here's somebody new, and to accept the weird into your Sunday school class that's been together forever. Oh, here comes that weird guy, the guy that wears all black. Remember, it is in such contexts as these that I just described that sinners are transformed into disciples who obey everything that King Jesus commanded. God wants to transform you. So it is not by accident that we have titled this new ministry Grace Seminary. It comes from the name of our church, but it's pulling on the idea that God's grace is a transforming grace and it transforms his people in gospel community. And gospel refreshment happens in gospel community when we remember that grace not only forgives the bad things we do, it transforms us out of the bad thing that we are. So as you leave today, I hope you go back on the table and look and sign up, but I hope God's grace goes with you from his word. Whatever situation you're in, whatever trial it is, you've got a sick child, an unaffectionate spouse, his grace is enough. It is unlimited power to enable you to bring him glory and to be transformed in the middle of whatever situation you find yourself in. For Philemon, it was, I've got to forgive this guy that has run away and probably stolen things from me, and now he just wants to come back and he just wants to be forgiven and think all is well. Philemon needed God's transforming grace, and it was there for him. Which is why Paul said grace to you. And it's there for you today. Whatever situation you're going through. And whatever Sunday school class or grace seminary class you sign up for. His grace is there to transform you. It is enough. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful grace. That not only forgives us, God. But we thank you that in your grace you You transform us. You change us. You make us like your son. You weren't content to just say, I forgive you and I'll see you in eternity. But that your spirit, Father, is intimately involved in making us more like your son. May we not resist the process, God, because it is as we are slowly transformed that you get great glory. So may we not resist May we not run away from the weird and the unforgivable, but may we jump into the middle of that mess and see your grace transform every single one of us. God, Father, we declare by faith that your grace, your unlimited power is enough for us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 